It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Boogie Bashing, a weekly bashcast brought to you by BoogieBashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 125, a Pierre Emmerich special. It is quarter to 7pm on Thursday, the 6th of December, 2018. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast. Ted Hook says, Bashley's wife goes into labour. We discuss Pierre Emerick Obemiang from Arsenal and the Gabonese national team. He certainly is someone that we need to have our focal points on when it comes to value. Super Tuesday in the Premiership came out of nowhere and this Saturday's William Hill horse race was the 150 at Newbury. After the break, gap. Gambling ads are restricted whistle to whistle. Do the bookmakers have actually jumped before they're pushed? And William Hill setting a precedence by setting their own SPs in some horse racing. All that and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. Slightly frustrating Bashcast. Um, I've already recorded it twice and both times. Garage Band crashed and lost all of the audio so I'm not saying third time's a charm what I am saying is that if this one crashes and gets lost then there won't be a bashcast this week and I will see you all in the week before Christmas yeah so it's quarter to nine in the evening on Thursday night um Lee, who recently joined the team, his wife is in labour just now. Perhaps she's already had the baby. I don't know. The Bashcast tonight's not taking place from the delivery suite in whatever hospital Lee's wife is in. If you can hear cars going past, the window is open because I'm boiling hot and it's the 6th of December. Anyone want to tell me why it's so wild if you don't believe in global warming? But uh, good luck to Lee and his wife. I hope all goes well with the baby. I think when uh, Ewan was born, on um, it was York. And, like, we waited around in a hostel for a week with nothing happening. It was interminably boring. So I was doing a lot of betting on York, and I was quite successful. I think the Wednesday was really good. The Thursday was really good. Making money race after race, and then put all my bets on in the morning for the Friday, and Ewan was born uh, mid-morning on Friday. And then every horse race lost in the afternoon. He was like an omen. So I hope better luck (laughs) for you, Lee. You also, I don't know, it's a crazy three months with a newborn baby in the house. Like, love him to bits, but you do forget about the crying, the screaming... The sleepless nights. Trying to record a podcast with a crying baby in the house is an interesting prospect. That's why we're delayed tonight. It's nine o'clock at night. Hopefully the cat behaves this week as well. I got some feedback that that was... um, like I put all the planning and preparation into preparing like an hour-long weekly podcast every week discussing value and different techniques for getting a stake on and the historical sport results and what we're looking forward to in stories. And what's the most interesting thing that happened last week? The cat scratched the door and I got up to let here to shout at him. That's the feedback that I got. So there you go. Cat's outside this week. Um, buzzing on the sweeties this week. I've got, what have I got? 
what is this? Seven grams worth of palm of violets in my hand. Sounds like Coke, doesn't it? <laughs> you want seven grams worth of palm of violets? I'd do it for you for 50 pounds. Um, we went to went to a um, Christmas party on Saturday night, me and Jen. So we got some babysitters for the kids and we managed to get out the house for like two hours or something like that. And it was um, it was my local CrossFit gym's Christmas party. And they had like this sweet stall on the side. So I got my spar and filled it full of sweeties for Sasha, who was three. And she didn't like any of them. So now I've got all the sweeties to eat. It's like, okay, fine. I haven't eaten sweeties in years, so I'll eat them. Um, party was interesting. I wore my kilt to this um, Christmas party. And I haven't worn my kilt for three years, two years, three years, something like that. I've got no reason to anymore. I'm old and boring. And in the intervening time, uh, maybe three years ago, I used to occasionally play poker in my kilt because I don't know why, just would. And I also used my sparring as a, a hiding place for bankroll for the shops until I got a safe um, when I realized that hiding, you know, hiding my bankroll in a sporran that could be lifted by the cleaners. Probably wasn't the best idea in the entire world. So i got a safe. All you robbers out there, don't worry about it anymore. You can't uh, take advantage of it. But um, what I didn't know is that for all these years, whilst my sporran just laid in a box, in another box in the bottom of my wardrobe, um, there was a significant chunk of my bankroll in there. I remember counting up maybe 18 months ago. And when I counted up all the money I had in the world, um, in my different bookmaker accounts and bank accounts and stuff like that. I was about 1,500 quid short. It was pissing me off because it was like, I know I've got this 1,500 quid, but it's not anywhere. Perhaps, just perhaps, I've lay, overlaid a bet and not noticed on the exchange or something. But after a while, I was like, I looked for it for a couple of weeks, couldn't find it. I was like, well, I'm just going to have to write it off. Just take it, you know, subtract 1,500 quid from my from my spreadsheet, from my bankroll, and be done with it. You know, I can't just... I can't include this money as my bankroll when I physically can't find it anywhere. So I was just done with it. I subtracted 1,500 quid and I got on with my life. And little did I know that this 1,500 quid in 20s and old tenors, which you can no longer spend, it was in my sparring all this time. I'd just forgotten, didn't go in my, didn't go in my sparring, didn't wear the kilt. So, yeah, it was just sitting in the wardrobe all this time. And then Saturday night... It was like an Oscars night at the gym. So I decided I was going to go in my kilt as Sean Connery. And um, the sporran felt heavy. And I opened it up. And there was £1,500 just in 20s and 10s in my sporran, which was nice. That was nice, wasn't it? Um, the weird thing was I got to the gym and then I wanted to retell this story. But there's just no way... This is one of the weird things about being sort of a professional gambler as a living. It's like, one, never tell anyone you're a professional gambler. Nothing comes from that. And two, when things happen, like you find 1,500 quid in your spawn, don't tell people. The story's exactly the same told as you found 80 quid in your spawn, except people will relate to the 80 quid and people will have questions that are very difficult to answer for the 1,500 quid. Sounds like I'm being a drug dealer here. <laughs> so I wanted to tell people, like, the joy of... I wanted to share the joy as I walked in nervously into this party full of people that I only really know from working out with. And I didn't recognise half of them, even though I work out with them every day. And the difference between people in their gym clothes and people in ball dresses and makeup is chalk and cheese. It really is. And so I walk in and... Oh, I can't believe you're wearing a kilt. Tom, look at you. And the first thing I say is, yeah, you won't know what happened to me. I found £80 in the kilt because the story is exactly the same if you say £80 or £1,500. In fact, it's probably, it's one of those situations where it's better that you say £80, definitely. And everyone went, no way. And I went, yeah, drinks are on me. And I went to the bar and I bought a round of drinks. Everyone was happy. Now, had I said, I've just found £1,500 in my sparring, Questions probably would have been asked 
and the feds would have been down there. <laughs> I reckon. And the other thing is, don't I don't you, no one really when anyone asks me what I do, I say I'm a stay at home dad because nothing good ever comes from replying with the smarmy answer uh, i'm a professional gambler nothing good there's a thread on the two plus two poker forum from years ago that i found very interesting um when i used to play poker um uh, and related to a lot and it said why i never tell people i'm a professional poker player because you're at a party someone says what do you do uh, you say i'm a professional poker player well you're going to get one of three different answers. You're going to get disbelief. You're going to either get... Uh, so these are the people... I don't believe that that's possible, right? Um, or if it is possible, you're probably making minimum wage or worse, you know? Um, you get sheer confusion. There's an element of people that's just, you know... They're stuck to the, and you know, I'm not going to stereotype, but they, perhaps they don't have the most amount of career aspirations in the entire world, and they've been they've been force fed this kind of lie that existence and life is all about climbing um, uh, an imaginary corporate ladder and getting a nicer car and having a bigger pension pot and big, and there's a reason why there are 20 different um, grades of seniority in large companies because, you know, 20 years, you could climb one by one every year and you feel like you're going somewhere, but what is at the end? What is the final step of that ladder? Uh, nothing but a large fall and death. <laughs> Sorry. So... This confusion from these people that that either this kind of means of living exists at all, like it, it, it you know, they've been told that the only winner when it comes to gambling is bookmakers or whatever, or if you're a poker player, it's just simply not possible. Maybe the casino takes an edge, you know. Um, so there's this confusion, or and the worst part. And this is possibly this is probably about sixty to eighty percent of the blokes that you tell that you're a professional gambler. They either know someone that is, or they themselves have a a strategy that they want to discuss with you that's negative EV. So there's kind of like enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm is misplaced. And I can't actually, I sh I shouldn't really be negative about these people because if someone else came to me with a career that I knew nothing about I would want to be enthusiastic about it and throw the smidgens of information that I knew about that random career at them as part of a discussion point and I'd probably get the same reaction you know I don't really want to have a discussion about equity or expected value with anyone other than people that understand equity and expected value it's not an interesting conversation to have with someone starting from the very beginning level so yeah um you either have a conversation that you don't want to be in because um it's so it's either wrong or low level and you don't want to what is the word that i'm looking for you don't want to denigrate the person you don't want to be snidey you don't want to look down on the person talk down to them although that you know they you would never turn to a professor of brain science and pretend that you know more than them but in the world of gambling it is allowed to think that you have a lot of information when you actually have none so you don't want to be appear snidey and you don't want to be with someone who is confused to the point that they don't think it is possible and you don't want to be with the person who simply doesn't think that it is possible so those are the three different situations and i've never been in a situation when I've been in, sort of I've told someone what I've done and they've been um, aware enough or educated enough to have about the subject of conversation to discuss equity or expected value um, uh, so and the one thing my wife gets she was going to write a blog about this actually is that she tells she it's a lot easier for her to tell people that when they ask what your husband does she just out and out says he's a professional gambler and she says the number one piece of feedback she gets from that is, do you mind? 
That's the question. And again, this comes down to the root of people probably thinking that we're down to our last 500 quid and I'm putting it all on red every night, hoping that it comes in red. And if it doesn't, the kids are going hungry. Because that, that's kind of the impression that people have. So what are you going to do? You know, yeah. Would you like to see my bank statement to show you that it is safe to be a professional gambler? That doesn't work either. So, yeah. So this all boils down to it's a lot easier at the party to say I've got 80 quid in my spar and I'm and I'm a stay-at-home dad and then everyone just gets on with their life and <laughs> it works like that. Jen had a good time. This is the second time that we've been out since Ewan has been born. We got picked up by her brother two hours after he dropped us off and um, she was in the back of the car. She said to him, would you mind pulling over? And three seconds later, the the two words, too late, uttered out of her mouth. <laughs> she had a very good time. So did I. Uh, enough of that nonsense. I think I'm ramping on because I don't have a lot of content this week. Or at least I don't feel like I've got a lot of content. And you never know. These are probably the bash casts that end up um, being three and a half hours. What do you reckon? I said that's ten, you gutless yellow pie slinger! Pierre-Emerick Emiliano Francois Aubameyang is a professional footballer who plays as striker for Premier League club Arsenal and captains the Gabonese national team. Born in Laval, France, he came through the ranks of AC Milan before a couple of very decent seasons for Saint-Étienne. 73 appearances, 35 goals. He was snapped up by Borussia Dortmund on the 4th of July 2013 and really destroyed, smashed the Bundesliga, culminating on the 20th of May 2017 where he scored twice in Borussia Dortmund's final day defeat of Werder Bremen to end the season as the Bundesliga's top goalscorer with 31 goals. He signed for Premier League club Arsenal for a record fee of £56 million on the 31st of January 2018, right at the beginning of this year. Why is Patrick Aubameyang noteworthy? He is noteworthy because he is probably the single biggest price-variant goalscorer in the top decision. Bookies seem to massively underestimate Aubameyang for some reason. He is the joint most Premiership goal scorer since the start of February, more than Kane, more than Aguero. Yet on Sunday against Tottenham Hotspur, you could get four to one on him um, at Betfred, five to one. At Bet365 and higher prices and middling prices as well. So what is going on there? Well, the reason is Lacazette. When he starts up front with Lacazette, he doesn't actually play in the middle of the field. He plays out wide, um, uh, which obviously drives his price up. Lacazette is the more likely goal scorer in those games. But that's when Lacazette starts the match. Um, Arsene Wenger frequently this season has lined up Aubameyang at the front of a diamond or Lacazette on the bench. And that means that Aubameyang is the focal point for all of the balls going forward, the corners, and he even takes penalties and free kicks and things like that. So um, a price of 4-1 to one term, even against the likes of Tottenham Hotspur, who are a decent team, seems crazy. So the lay was six point something during the morning when people thought that Lacazette was going to start. And then team news was announced whilst I was at Santa's Grotto, of all places, that Lacazette was on the bench and Aubameyang was up front by himself. And all of a sudden, we have an arb for Double Delight Hattrick Heaven. Back to the old days of 2013. So he was five to back, 4.9 to lay. And that's just crazy, crazy value. Um, and he scored the first goal of that game. He got a, uh, it was a penalty. Penalty takers should never be as high as four to one at home, especially when they're 
a sort of singer up front as Aubameyang was and went on to get a second. So the measly stakes I can get on online in Santa's Grotto at least made that game a little bit of fun. For me, as uh, Aubameyang's price was doubled from 4-1 to one to 8-1. to one. That takes us to Super Tuesday. And nobody saw Super Tuesday coming at all. This is just like four nondescript premiership games in the middle of December. Bournemouth, Huddersfield, Brighton, Crystal Palace, West Ham, Cardiff, Watford and Manchester City. So a couple of things went down here. We were getting really decent value on in-play Double Delight Hatrick Evan. So a good strategy here when, you know, you don't know what the prices are going to be in play. But a strategy is write down any decent matches pre-match, even bad matches, because you don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what the prices are going to change to. So you can say like Murray for Brighton, 5.5 to back, 5.8 to lay. I mean, if that was available pre-match, you'd be all over that. Arnaut of which was 7 to back, 7 to lay. Crazy. Um, Sane, uh, not so good. Eight to back, ten. Uh, sorry, seven to back, eight point four to lay. Um, and Wilson was good at seven, four point five to back, five point two to lay. So if you get any of those prices in play, then you know based on um, the pre-match lays that you're probably getting some value. And um, okay, Arnautovic didn't score first. This is one of the benefits of mugging double delight hatrick heaven over laying double delight hatrick heaven yes the equity is kind of the same um i guess if you're paying commission then the equity of just mugging it is far greater in fact well it's certainly you know shades of a few percent per year which will add up over time it really will um but there's something about flattening the variance here slightly or at least waiting around for the double delight to actually hit because if you're laying first goal scorer and you know a lot of people like back at this six and lay at 6.2 and i guess it's fine but you really are waiting for that first goal scorer to come to score first and get a second goal in the game now back in 2013 where multiple goal scorers were value in every single game then that was a viable strategy but nowadays when the value is so thin I just don't have the patience, the temerity to wait around and back and lay for that uh, first goal scorer to hit and get a second goal in the game. I feel like if I was waiting around for that, I would um, have other things that could keep me more entertained. Whereas just mugging first goal scorer, knowing that it's value, then I, I get the pleasure not just of having the double odds, as is intended, but I get a victory when the first goal scorer hits as well. So to me, it's sort of a trade-off. It's like a, a trade-off. It's a psychological game. It's like I need to be entertained frequently enough to bet on this strategy. And so for me, the ideal thing is just hitting, mugging first goal scorer without doing any hedging. But, you know, the equity is kind of still there if you... If you're laying these things, you're just going to be very much more price sensitive. Anyway, Sani hit, Wilt Murray hit, Wilson hit. I was on Sani at 9-2. to two. Now, we discussed earlier he was 8.2 to lay. And I think anyone, anyone worth the salt would tell you that a, a back of 5.5 and a lay of 8.2 is a negative equity bet when it comes to um, either mugging or laying. Um, first goal scorer and double the light hat-trick heaven. But when I was watching the Man City game, I was forming an opinion, me and my pal were forming an opinion that, well, one, against Watford, they were just all over them. So Watford weren't going to contribute to the first goal scorer pool. And then of the Manchester City players, it did seem that it was just Sane and Silva who had pushed up front. And Silva was a hell of a price as well. So my pal got on Silva for the small stakes that he can online. I got on Sane for the small stakes that I can online. Um, and um, despite the fact that both of them were higher than eight pre-match, that was just wrong. Um, perhaps it was that City had shaped up in a formation that the market makers didn't expect pre-match, but there was no way that Sane should have been much higher than 9-2 when the game kicked off because he was having every opportunity. He did get the first goal in the match, um, as did Murray, as did Wilson. 
Now, none of them got the second goal in the match. And this is why, like, I'm walking away with a big smile on my face, having not laid anything for my Double Delight Hatching Heaven attempts on Super Tuesday. And if you are laying and hoping that they get the second goal, then you're a little bit down in the dumps. So how long can you continue doing that? How long can you continue to wait until the second goal scorer? I mean, I, I, mathematically, we're both walking away with approximately the same amount of equity, but I think I'm having more fun, and therefore I think it's it's more tenable as a long-term strategy for me. But personal opinion, perhaps you're an emotionless robot who can just keep ticking along <laughs> at, um, at higher variance rates than me. There was another couple of bets on Super Tuesday. Bournemouth, Brighton, West Ham boosted to 17-2 at Betfest Sportsbook, and they have the decency to take a... Um, at least a, a medium-sized bet up to 50 quid there, making it interesting. And they're not just £10 maximum where it's literally not interesting. And Bournemouth, Brighton and West Ham all did win on Tuesday, Super Tuesday, um, as did Manchester City, and that made it the four favourites, which meant that a lot of people made money on Tuesday night, whether they were value seekers or not. The difference between people taking value and people not taking value is that we're making more when everything comes in, you know, um, we're making more than we should do. That's for sure. There was another one that I'm very grateful for the tracker. Over 2.5 in each Premier League game was up at 16 to 1 at Betfair Sportsbook and Paddy Power. Now, this is the kind of bet that I would used to work out in the morning, but I'm not going to set and track the over 2.5 market for the entire day because I've got things to be getting on with. But the tracker doesn't have things to be getting on with. The tracker will sit there. The bot will read the over 2.5 market in each game every day. And it's deemed into value. 17 to back. 15.2 would have been the fair price it calculated. It was up for the majority of the day, in fact. So there was plenty of time to get this. So I got on this for sort of higher stakes than usual. Because it was a good value bet and a steamer, and there was a, two, a common, and also how much fun is it betting on over two point five in every EPL game? Because it's like you cheer every goal that goes in. Although there is something to be said about value mugs of nil nils and things like that, because then you, then you cheer a lot more every time a goal doesn't go in. But regardless of the four games, it turned out to be um, the Manchester City game that was giving me the heebie-jeebies on Tuesday night because Bournemouth beat Huddersfield 2-1, Brighton 3-1, West Ham 3-1. It was Watford 1, Manchester City 2. But Watford didn't get that goal until the 85th minute and it actually looked like this was going to finish 2-0 Manchester City. So I was very grateful for that to come in. Especially, it's always fun for it to come in when you're betting slightly higher stakes than you are... Um, than you normally do. And um, if you add in the value mug, the over 2.5 in each English Premiership League game, which was up at 16 to 1, and the double delight, Hattrick Heaven, Super Tuesday came out of nowhere and was an absolute stormer. Brought us on to Wednesday night. Now, Wednesday night was an example of we shouldn't ignore the fact that whilst Wednesday night and Tuesday night were chalk and cheese. So I made a lot of money on Tuesday night. I lost a lot of money on Wednesday night. It's important to note that how much equity was available because we don't want to be just thinking about short-term profits. We I would much rather there was loads of opportunity and it didn't come in than there was no opportunity and I bet on something and it did come in because in the long term, what's going to make me more money? Loads of opportunity or few opportunities? It's going to be loads. Short-term results shouldn't matter that much. So I'm not going to get disconcerted that nothing came in on the Wednesday night because yet again, it was a mirror image of what happened on Sunday. Aubameyang was up on the exchanges. It was identified the day before at five. He was up at Betfred at five to one. There was a boost for him to score first at 13 to two at William Hill. Excuse me. There was this, he was up, well, he was traded at 6.4 the day before. On Betfair, so that's six six point four for doubles like Hatrick Kevin at Fred, which is obviously value, but it was only twenty pounds traded. Actually, that's a bit of a sneaky summary from Betfair because it's actually only ten pounds. Someone's put up ten pounds and someone's matched it with ten pounds. In the way that Betfair calculate that, they've said that twenty pounds has been traded, which I don't think is strictly true, but whatever. Any which way, but Sunday. 6, 6.4 is a good match, but it's illiquid. It's not that much that's been traded. You know, you can often justify or find 
good matches in a liquid markets. But there's a little bit, there's an element of persuading yourself that something is good because you want to see goodness everywhere. You want to see good value everywhere. You want to see equity everywhere. And so you say, oh, look, the the last price match was X or this is traded at Y. But then you look at it and only 20 quids traded at X and traded at Y. Well, you're no longer using the wisdom of the crowds when it's only a tenner. There's no crowds. You're using the wisdom of Baza. Gaza, who have just matched each other on the exchange, and you know they could be wise, but equally the they could not. So, on the actual morning on Wednesday morning, I looked at it again with the idea, you know, are we got are orders going to be sent to runners hit every bet Fred ever? Let's just do this and let's smash it and let's just get on more than we need because we don't just have to smack it to value mugging stakes. If it's going to be six six point four, we can maximize the value mug stake and then over that we can start hedging and really get a lot of money on a Bemiang um against Manchester United. Well he was six to back and seven point six delay, so he's outside of value territory there. So just completely forgot about him. Went on and got on with my life, twiddling my fingers and staring into space, wondering what happened to the last 20 years, <laughs> which is what I do during the middle of the day. Um, and then all of a sudden I turned around whilst changing an appy and someone said that he was six to back and five point nine to lay. So he was good value at DDHH. He was 13 to two, 7.5 to boosted price at William Hill. If you want a little bit of value there, he was um, good value for any time goal scorer, a special three to back, 2.6 to lay at Betfred. He was even 67 to back, 41 to lay um, to get a hat-trick. I mean, that, that, those are the kind of prices that, once you're in that territory, I'm not going to blame you massively if you want to underlay that. It's so easy to underlay at 67, 40, or 41, or whatever. Regardless, it, it finished Manchester United 2, Arsenal 2, Aubameyang did not get on the score sheet. Did Lacazette? Um, no, he didn't. Mustafi, Mustafi got a header. In the 26th minute, and he was the last um, Arsenal goal scorer because the second goal was a Rocco own goal. But again, as I say, I'm happy, I'm delighted about the fact that there is so much value around, and I will take that and no profit any day over scrambling around for money and getting lucky and making a little bit. Uh, horse racing William Hill yet again fifth consecutive weekend in a row went crazy place terms this was the 150 at Newbury the Ladbrokes handicap hurdle they chose this race the Ladbrokes handicap hurdle two miles for furlongs 118 yards and 15 runners to pay out six places now it's not the most amount of value six places on a 15 runner field i mean historically and traditionally that would be awesome if it was one to four odds but it's still very good especially when they were sort of joint favorites of champ and speedo boy at nine to two they were four to one for the majority of the day at william hill nine to two was the starting price i really i wish i am during the day i had the ability to sort of look into the future and work out what the starting prices were going to be. Excuse me, I have not muted the computer because um, some horses are just so difficult to get on. Occasionally, occasionally the favourites, very frequently the outsiders. Um, and you're like, if the SP is going to be very decent, for example, Golden Birthday, I couldn't get on him at 50 to 1. He wasn't value at 50 to 1. I was like, do you think he'll be SP 66 to 1, 100 to 1, 80 to 1, because any of those will be good. His SP was 40 to 1. And actually my plan all all afternoon was to wait for Golden Birthday to get better than 50 to 1 to get on him, and he never did. So that plan didn't work. Um, my plan was to cover the field and get on the definite plus EV horses. Which ones are the definite plus EV horses? The ones that I post on the forum and... Are, you know, half or three quarters of the field when you're paying six places in a 15-runner race are going to be plus EV. So those are the easy guys to get on. And then I'm hoping that I can fill the gaps before the off. And with Golden Birthday, who was the rank outsider, I was like, well, 
I'll just get on him right before the end. And um, if it's negative EV, it's negative EV. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let myself have a three thousand pound downside. Um, when I know just plugging him will remove sixty six percent of that downside and I'll have a seven hundred good downside or something like that. But I was just hoping he would be better than fifty to one. He was forty to one. On the flip side of the coin, I wasn't expecting the two favourites, Speedo Boy and Champ, to be boosted from four to one to ninety two SP, and I would have left them because those two came first and third. Champ won it ninety two fave. Speedo Boy came third ninety two fave, and I was on both of them. But at four to one, so I just could have maximised the amount of money there. Uh, I thought I broke even on this race because of a spreadsheet error. Um, the, it was sort of the craziness of the last ten minutes with a few guys in shops sending bets and so forth and so on. But I mean, the weird thing is, if you're going to be anal about this, then you don't want to be doing it. As simple as that, right? If you're going to be counting everything to the exact penny and really worrying about equalizing profits and don't do the strategy of um, dutching and betting on every horse in William Hill's boosted races. Basically, you have to trust that the action of placing your average bet on these races is going to be good. That's what's making money. And it's very, it's very possible to lose money um worst case scenario was definitely going to lose money you're not going to equalize them and i'm very glad that who's my jockey didn't win uh, in this situation i hadn't recorded a couple of bets on champ um so i didn't know at the time that i wanted champ to win i thought i wanted someone else to win um so when champ won i thought that i had placed seven and a half thousand pounds worth of backstakes and made 30 pounds profit which is laudable um in reality we'd made two thousand pounds profit i just didn't know it at the time because there was a couple of bet slips missing from my recording i also had a bit of a cold and i was slightly hungover after i went up and met with some of my old um gambling group up in leeds casino for the afternoon um the day before so i was feeling peaky to say the least um so it was a decent race uh, um I, I did i get lucky i mean come on i don't i didn't place how many 52 bets by accident on this race i got lucky because i didn't think the champ was going to be that profitable and it ended up that i had just missed and not recorded a couple of bets on champ but yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing that if you have the option of worrying about this and being fastidious and recording everything to the penny and making sure that everything is equal return and blah, 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 then it's probably not the strategy for you. If you can just have faith in the fact that if you're betting six places on a horse race with 15 places where Golden Birthday ain't going to come in the top, six hopefully then you know especially when we i mean this is probably the worst enhanced place race that william hill had recently and they could have yeah t take the race where they had 11 runners and they were paying six places i mean come on how this was like it's that episode of red dwarf where rimmer is revising for an exam um and he's got t 10 weeks to revise for the officer corps exam so that he can come become a first lieutenant of the mining corporation of red dwarf um which has been his dream all this time and he's very excited to take the exam and he's so excited that and so nervous about it that he spends the entirety of the 10 weeks planning and preparing this beautiful revision planner um, which is very complex and it's got a matrix and all the colors and he spends all his time doing this and then it, he realizes all of a sudden it's the day before the race and he's done nothing and to a certain element you could get yourself into that hole with these races by worrying about planning and preparation and downsides and everything like that look certainly you should always know what your downside is although I put my hand in the air and say I've made a mistake and I didn't know what it was exactly but you should have a rough idea what it is but if you worry too much about 
normalizing and equalizing these races, then that worry will probably prevent you from the action of going out and getting money on. The number one thing that's going to end up making profit in the long run is just getting out there and getting the job done. Go out there, find your mates, ask your mate's wife to pop into William Hill and place whatever on whoever, and just do it. And don't think too hard. And if you can do that, then in the long run, you will show some profit. Okay, guys, that's enough rambling for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BuckyBashing.net. Welcome back to the Bashcast. That was Mumford and Sons with uh, Darkness Visible, the John Milton poem lyrics throughout from their album Delta in 2018. So how your mom for me? In the bookie bashing news, it is not often that bookmakers give in to pressure from anti-gambling groups without being forced to. So Thursday's news that the biggest names in online betting will soon introduce a whistle-to-whistle ban on television advertising around sporting events is a collector's item. Ray Winston's loss, many will feel, is the armchair fan's gain. What's happened here? The market leaders in online game gambling, including Bet365, Skybet and Paddy Power Betfair, are all signed up to the voluntary ban from which TV coverage of horse racing will be exempt. So too are the firms with big retail estates, such as Ladbrokes, Coral and William Hill, who may perhaps have learned a lesson from their long, bitter and ultimately futile campaign to resist pressure for a cut in stakes of FOBTs. The agreement announced on Thursday, in effect, 
implement a proposal that was expected to feature in the next Labour manifesto and does so in all likelihood at least three and a half years in advance of any legal requirement to do so. So has the UK's gambling industry suddenly decided that its opponents were right all along? Well, the decision will have been taken after careful consideration of its long-term effect on profitability versus the possible impact of even stricter regulation further down the line. Um, the clear concern seems to be that if they do not do something themselves, then the alternative is going to be much, much worse. It is a calculated move, not a climb down. And when it comes to football, which dominates the online market, it is also far from complete as it does not cover shirt sponsorships, for instance. But again, this could have a knock-on benefit for some British firms because the overwhelming majority of betting-related shirt sponsors are Asian firms with no significant customer base in the UK. So if there are no gambling ads in the break... The Premier League could feel that the time is right to ban shirt sponsorships for gambling businesses too, which would be no bad thing for UK high-profile-based bookies that operate in the Asian market. It's also significant that the bookie's self-imposed ban covers the entirety of any sporting event bar horse racing that starts before 9pm, so there will be no blitz of ads post-watershed. This means that racing will soon find itself in the happy position of being the only sport around which the biggest names in betting are able to advertise, which could prove a significant boost for the only sport that is entwined with betting from its earliest days. The law of supply and demand suggests that the value of the advertising opportunities around sport can only go one way. As a result... The value of racing's media rights, for instance, should also increase and the terrestrial rights in particular could be a very interesting proposition for a number of bidding bidders when ITV's contract expires in the end of 2020 as things stand. And assuming that Bucky's agreement holds, racing could offer not just the best but the only significant space on mainstream TV to advertise betting brands around sports. The Bucky's greatest fear, of course, is racing's nightmare. What if a future government decides that even stricter regulation is required and introduces a blanket ban on gambling advertising? Nothing seems impossible in politics these days, but Labour's proposal included an exemption for racing in the industry is such an important employer that it is difficult to see either major party going that far. The days when racing accounted for the overwhelming majority of the bookies' turnover is long gone in the sport still remains in many respects the best and most compelling of all betting mediums. Any move that increases racing's significance for bookies can work only in the sport's favour because, like it or not, and there are still plenty who try to pretend otherwise, betting will always be vital for racing's popularity and prosperity. Also in the news, William Hill in Goodwill Gesture is a surprise after Punter's SP complaint. Um, William Hill were in a spot of bother earlier this week when it was realised that they not only determined their own starting prices but those starting prices were significantly lower than other high street brands uh, well later on in this week the Guardian reports that William Hill has decided to offer an additional payment to those who took the firm's own starting price of 16 to 1 on Untold Secret a winner it made at on 8th of November, who paid 28 to 1 elsewhere. After questions were raised by The Guardian, the bookmaker said it was uncomfortable with the difference between the two sets of odds on one occasion and uh, would pay the difference as a gesture of goodwill. William Hill will continue to use its own starting prices, get this, for racing in the US, France and Dubai. So William Hill... How many people know this? They set their own starting prices for races in those countries. The fact it was doing so came to a surprise to some industry insiders as well as the punter who claimed who complained, but a spokesman for the firm said it has been using screens in its shops to make its customers aware it uh, it was no longer offering the industry SP issued by SIS and relied on by other high street firms. Rupert Adams says we are laying William Hill prices throughout the day and returning the SP as the last traded price. The prices are a reflection 
of reliability positions and internal opinions, as well as taking into account the marketplace, including the exchanges, and in no way do we amend the SPs after the off so that we have no risk. This is quite scary for some people that because the well why don't we email just set the sp at two to one now we're completely at the mercy of um good faith from william hill um however to be fair as it happened william hill did beat the industry sp on two of the first four races at may down on thursday matched it once and was lower once so at least there's good news there i mean i am definitely of the opinion that in this story william hill they're not out to try and scam people. They are trying to make an effort to form their own opinion, which really is what Bookmaker is all about. It's just when you're going to do that, you probably really have to broadcast it from the hilltops and make it clear to everybody. A lack of transparency in betting in general is a subject of concern. I don't have a big problem with the principle of a bookmaker returning its own starting prices. It's just let's make sure that the methods are above board, transparent, and completely clear. Simon Rowlands, uh, former chair of the Horse Betters Forum, says that um, um, there is a lack of regulatory oversight and probity of betting markets in general and of SPs in particular, which potentially opens the door to chicanery. Without such oversight, what is to stop a bookmaker having a tick or two off a price to suit their own ends? William Hill flatly denied a suggestion that potential liabilities deriving from accumulated bets might be taken into account when the firm determined its SP for a horse if it happens to be the final runner in a potentially expensive bet. 100% no was Adam's horse. Look, uh, it's going to be a shorter bashcast this evening, and the reason for that is... One of the utmost frustration for me. This is the third time I have recorded the Bashcaster on the previous two times, and I can't tell you why GarageBand crashed on me. I have since learned how to recover the files, but it's a little bit too late, so if it crashes again, it's not too much of a problem. But uh, my energy has been sapped. It is now 11.15 in the evening. and I, uh, The last time I was up this late, I was... Wearing tartan trousers and had ski goggles on in a nightclub. Uh, whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is big. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Is it, can I hear it again? Do you have time? <laughs>